race, language, territory, and politics. Might should have advertised that title a little bit more. We probably wouldn't have an empty seat this morning. Might even have uh, some local news stations asking if they could sit in and record what it is that we're going to say about these often controversial topics, things like race and politics, perhaps even going a step farther, perhaps there would even be subpoenas from the local authorities asking for the content of what it is that's said in this place regarding these controversial issues, as was the case in Houston, Texas this last week. But my task this morning is not to endorse a particular political party or candidate. Uh, My task is to proclaim the Word of God and its implications for us today as Christians and evermore. Our passage of Scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 10, which is an especially difficult text to teach or to preach and As you're turning there, I want to say that it is a text that does highlight the beginnings of some of these things, highlights the beginnings of divisions over race and territory and language and politics, things that humanity, the human race, has divided over and disagreed over for thousands of years and continues to do so even Today, we see through this particular chapter, through this list of names, genealogies, geography, we see that these divisions over these things set the context for the greatness of God's plan of salvation. In fact, the divisions of the human race provide the occasion for the realization of the greatness of God's gift of salvation. Divisions of the human race, divisions over things like race, language and territory and politics, provide the occasion for the realization of the greatness of God's gift of salvation. Before we look at Genesis chapter 10 together. This draws us close to the conclusion of the opening chapters of God's Word in the book of Genesis and the primeval events as recorded in biblical history. And we'll be in Genesis for one more week next week before we take a break from God's Word in Genesis and look at a series in the first part of November titled The Gospel in Action before we then look at our Christmas message series, text messages from God, sending and receiving the message of Christmas. But let's look together at Genesis chapter 10. And before we do, let's go to God in prayer and ask Him to guide us in our time in His Word this morning. Father, we do come before You today. We come before you acknowledging that we've gathered in your honor for your glory and we desire you to teach us, Lord. We desire you to guide us and lead us and to mold us, to make us, to transform us, Lord, to convict us by your spirit for your glory. Lord, help us as we seek to understand your word together now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 10 together as I read portions of God's word found there. Genesis chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras, sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma, sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. Skip down to verse 8. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kelah, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kelah, which is the great city. Skip down again to verse 18. Later, the Canaanites, Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages and their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Skip down one more time to verse 30 of Genesis chapter 10. The region where they lived stretched from Meshah towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out, out over the earth after the flood. Well, we can conclude and all go home now, right? Now, we could jump into some of these names. We could d- dive into some of these historical names and places and peoples. That would be rather tedious and academic, and I don't think that's the, the message that we're to draw from a text like this. So what we want to do this morning as we look at a text like this that's a bit different from what we're used to is to step back and to see the big picture within the context of all of God's word. What is being communicated through this table of nations? This list of seemingly endless names and places that are difficult to pronounce. It seem very foreign to us living today. And by the way, wasn't wasn't Alan Ross who preached in my absence good? A man who, who knows Scripture. In fact, there are few, few people living today that are as well-respected and well-known as an Old Testament Bible scholar as Alan Ross in the evangelical Christian world. And when he agreed to come and to, to teach from Genesis, I think my heart may have literally skipped a beat as he responded I know that sounds a bit nerdish. You probably think I'm a Bible nerd, a 
Bible geek, but trust me, there's a few others of you out there because you come and you talk to me about these things. And his resource, his work on Genesis has been an invaluable resource for me as I've been studying and working through this book. And for those of you that, that like that sort of thing, that have an appetite to go a bit deeper, I would recommend his volume, Creation and Blessing on Genesis. But as we look at this chapter for just a few minutes together, I want us to draw three biblical and theological truths from what's found here in the context of God's word for us to take away this morning. And I think it's helpful to to note and to notice that in this list of difficult names, there's Different kinds of names that are listed. Some names of individuals, some names of families and clans, some names of cities and and geographical regions. And all that to say, this is probably not meant to be a detailed list depicting every single descendant in every single one of these lines. Rather, this is a very intentional inclusion of certain names and certain peoples and certain places in order to paint a bigger picture, in order to present a certain pattern that presents truths that we're to understand in the context of God's Word. So what can we draw from this? Well, point number one, theological truth number one that I think we can walk away with from Genesis chapter 10 in the context of God's Word is that the human race is united in family origin. The human race is united in family origin. Look back at Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Now remember, we've just come out of the flood story, this account in Scripture of God wiping out people across the earth, judging the human race for their pervasive wickedness and evil, except for Noah, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives, as recorded in chapter 6, verse 18. One family that remains, that's saved by the grace of God through this destruction. God, in essence, is saying, I'm starting over with this family. And then after the flood account, after the waters began to recede and the earth is visible again, God says to that family, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, that they're to be fruitful, multiply, to increase in number and to fill the earth. And then we jump down to the end of, of chapter 10 and we read this conclusion, the summary statement of what's found in this endless list of names. Verse 32, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Just like in a football game. After a play is over, at the end of a play, players are scattered all over the field, carrying out respective responsibilities and roles in a given play. If we could look back, if we could rewind the tapes, so to speak, and I know we don't, we don't do that anymore, we don't use tapes anymore, but if we could look at the replay, we could go back to the beginning of the play, seconds earlier, there'd be a common starting point that each of these players would be lined up on the line of scrimmage, in a similar way, there's the common starting point that 
the human race can trace beginnings back to according to God's word. For all of those that are alive today, we can trace our genealogies back far enough. And certainly we can't do this. We don't have this information available to us. But if we could trace them back far enough, we would see a common point in Noah and his descendants, his sons, the human race is united in family origin. And this has implications for how we view others in the human race. That we're all on an equal playing field, so to speak. We all come from a common place, a common source, a common ancestor. But though we are united in family origin, another truth that we see here from this chapter, in the big picture of this chapter, a truth that's still widely recognized and seen today in the world is that the human race is hopelessly divided by race, language, territory, and politics. We're united in family origin. We're hopelessly divided along these other lines, these other boundary markers, race, language, territory, and politics. Three sons of Noah who whose descendants are traced, the spread of their descendants are traced here in Genesis chapter 10. The first of these is is Japheth. Generally speaking, the descendants of Japheth settled in Europe and Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. The second of these is descendants of Ham, the Hamites. Generally speaking, they settled in North Africa and on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And then the third of these is Shem. Descendants of Shem, primarily speaking, settled in the Mesopotamia area, the area of Arabia, spreading across the Arabian Peninsula. So three different groups of descendants, all coming back, all tracing back to to Noah as their ancestors, spreading in these three different regions. And notice that in this particular chapter, much more attention, much more detail is given to the descendants of Ham. The Canaanites and others, the, the Hamites, the The ones on whom we read last week, the curse was pronounced on these descendants. We read this account of Nimrod that sort of seems out of place as he's given more room, more detail. Some specific things about this man, Nimrod, that he was a mighty hunter, that he was a kingdom builder, that he built a significant empire that included cities like Babylon and Nineveh, cities that would become the capital of areas, nations that were known to be pagan nations and enemies of the people of Israel in their day. Other places are listed that were found in the promised land, the land of Canaan, places like Sodom and Gomorrah, places that were known to have a a wicked reputation, an evil reputation, peoples that would be at odds for years and years with God's people as recorded in the Old Testament. All this proliferating and scattering and spreading and development of languages. No doubt, these things took time. We're given kind of a wide-angle snapshot of it here in Genesis chapter 10. But I want us to notice a pattern. Don't miss this pattern because even in a chapter like this, there's intentionality in the Word of God. There's something clearly being communicated in the Word of God that's important for people throughout centuries. Notice this pattern that at the end of each of these sons' lists of descendants. First time 
found in verse 5, after the Japhethites are mentioned. From these, the maritime, or sea peoples, spread out into their territories by their clans, within their nations, each with its own language. Territories, clans, nations, languages. Skip down to the next one, verse 20. After the descendants of Ham are, are mentioned, verse 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. One more time, skip down to verse 31. After the descendants of Shem are mentioned. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations pattern that's communicated over and over that there are these various boundary markers, these lines of division. Clans is mentioned. This would be a, really a subcategory of a nation. A family group that's united around a particular race or ethnicity within a nation. Of course, languages, the linguistic opponent, component speaks for itself. Scripture is saying here that there are many languages that have developed across the the surface of the earth as people scattered and, and spread. And we read in the very next chapter that we'll look at last week that this was a result of the Tower of Babel. Of course, territory speaks for itself. Geographical locations and boundary markers. And lastly, the idea of nations. The political states. Kingdoms that developed. All of these various dividing markers. Various things that that cause certain groups of people, descendants, to be united around certain affinity groups. Like-minded things. Things that they had in common. And if we miss it, in case we miss it in the reading of this particular chapter, the author of Genesis tells us that this was the way it was. Make sure that we see it in verse 25. He says, In that day, the earth was divided. Human race... Hopelessly divided over race, language, territory, and politics. And we see this today, do we not? Could turn on your favorite news station. Look at your favorite news source. And it's clear that these are things that people divide over. And have divided over for many, many years. And don't just divide over geographical boundaries or languages, dividing various nations. Divisions go beyond that as often people divided over politics, race, even within nations. Civil wars have been fought and are being fought today over these things. Human race is divided along these lines. All of these divisions can be traced back the days following Noah. But the good news is that for a sovereign God, God who rules and reigns, a God who knows all things, this sort of division did not nor does not catch him off guard. God knew that this would be the case. It's a result of sin. These various dividing factors would come into play in his plans. He was already working to bring about salvation. He was already working to reverse this division through His plan, His plan of salvation. 
The final truth, the third truth that we see from this particular passage is the divided nations set the stage for the divine plan of bringing salvation to the nations. The divided nations set the stage, set the context, set the situation for the divine plan of bringing salvation to the nations. Now, this chapter, portions that I just read moments ago, would not make much sense to us, if any sense to us, read in isolation. But we're not meant to read this particular chapter in isolation. We're meant to read it within the broader context of God's Word. Just like life wouldn't make a lot of sense if if you walked around always looking through a pair of binoculars. You might see some interesting things, but... It wouldn't make sense because you wouldn't see the surrounding context. You wouldn't see what's going on all around you. In the same way, we're not meant to read this chapter alone. We're meant to read it and to understand it in light of all of God's Scripture. And thankfully, we have the completed Word of God. We have the fullness of God's Word. We have the completed Bible, which helps us recognize and see that there is a glimmer of hope of salvation that is being hinted at already here in Genesis chapter 10. And we see it in Genesis chapter 10, verse 21. Look back at verse 21 with me. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Remember that name, Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. And what do these names mean? What's being communicated here? Why is that such a big deal I'm so glad you asked. Look at the next chapter in Genesis chapter 11, picking up in verse 10. And don't miss this. This is the account of Shem's family line, given another, another genealogical record of the third son, Shem. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 12, when Arphaxad had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 14, when Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. Skip down. More and more. Sons, children, born, skip down all the way to verse 26. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. I notice the prominent place that even in Genesis chapter 10, this man Eber is given. Listed first, Shem is described in verse 21 as the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. And if we go on and read the record, Eber was not even Shem's son. He wasn't even his grandson. He was a great grandson. But the author wants the readers to know and wants us as readers today to know as believers who know the fullness of the story, who know the fullness of God's word, that this line through Eber would ultimately lead to Abram, the one through whom God would call and promise to bless all the people of the earth, all the nations of the earth through in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In other words, this points to God's promise of salvation through a seed that is coming. Israel is noticeably absent in this genealogy. Genesis chapter 10. Israel, where are they? Where do they fit into this? And this is intentional. The author is communicating that 
All of these nations, all of these peoples, all of these descendants are settling and developing in areas all around God's people in that day. And it served as a reminder to them that God's plan to bless through Israel would have great bearing on Israel's relationship with these nations. Israel would see all the nations arranged around them and would better understand their mission and their destiny by having this particular map in the words of Dr. Alan Ross. And the truth is that Israel, when they received this word of God, when they first read a genealogy like this, it would come much later as the word of God was compiled and it would, become, it would come later in biblical history and they would be able to read this through the lens of what God had already begun to bring about through the promise of Abraham and his descendants and the blessing that would come upon all people of the world. And the same is true for us as Christians today. As people today who live in light of the fullness of God's word and the fullness of his story of salvation and redemption, salvation by grace through faith in Christ, we can look back and see where God is going with this and see how he is bringing a divided group of people, a divided race that's scattered across the the nations, that's scattered across the earth together to reunite them, to unite them around one message, a message of salvation and forgiveness and peace and restoration and reconciliation with our creator through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in light of knowing that message and hearing that message. And because that is true, because God has already worked to bring that about, because He has already sent the promised seed, the one who would live His life and ultimately lay down His life as a sacrifice for the nations, the gospel message, because that is true, we can rejoice in the coming of the gospel. We rejoice in the coming of the gospel knowing that the promises that are hinted at this far back in biblical history have already been carried out. That Christ has come, that a Savior has come, that the one who would be a light to the nations has come. And in just a few weeks we're going to revisit the events that took place the first Christmas leading up to the birth of of the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was just a few days old, He was taken to the temple for an accustomed with the law of His day. And on that occasion, we read these words recorded in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Excuse me, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The light of revelation to the Gentiles, to the nations of the earth, to the people scattered across the earth, divided by 
all of these things that we've been mentioning this morning, that light came through Jesus. The Savior of the world has come. and We can rejoice in His coming. And His coming ought to inform the way that we look at the scattered peoples across the face of the earth. Recognize the impact of the gospel on your view of the nations. Folks, as Christians, people who know the gospel, who believe the message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, that message ought to impact the way that we look at every other people, every other nation scattered across the face of the earth. We can no longer be primarily driven by other dividers We can no longer primarily be driven in our decisions by race and territory and language and politics. We must primarily be driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that opens our eyes to the people of the world. People that are divided along these lines and scattered across the earth. But who one day will come together and be reunited. And have already begun to become reunited through this message. The first century... To Jews, you were either a Jew or you weren't a Jew. Either a Jew or a Gentile. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in the first century, recorded in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, wrote these words. He said, For Christ Himself, for Christ Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of Hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, out of the Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, that's us, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Praise God that the gospel has come and that the gospel has come to us. And as people who have heard that message and responded to that message, placing our faith in Christ, reconciler of a broken humanity, place our faith in the God who created all of the human race in our image. We, we see the human race as either those that have also come to know Christ, also repented of their sins and trust in Christ, or those who have not yet done so. Because many have not yet done so in places that have not heard the message or rightly understood the message. You and I as people of God ought to carry the gospel to the nations. Carry the gospel to the nations. It's good news of salvation. This Good news of reconciliation, not only with each other, but even more importantly than that, with God, ought to drive what we do, ought to drive what we are about. Old Testament pictures and glimpses of Israel serving as a light to the nations around them, pagan nations around them, to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of glory and might and salvation of God. We too ought to ought to serve and to carry and to spread the good news of the glory of God, the magnificent news of salvation in Christ to all those that we can for the glory of God. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you, Jesus told his disciples. Folks, we ought to carry the gospel to the nations. And as believers who know that Christ will return, that God is coming again, we can anticipate the full realization of the gospel. Anticipate the full realization of the gospel. One more place. I want you to turn with me in Scripture. Turn far to the right to the final book of Scripture. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. Revelation chapter 7. And this is where we're going to conclude this morning. Revelation chapter 7 records the words that God had given, Christ had given to the servant John. Begin reading Revelation chapter 7 beginning in verse 9. John wrote, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Folks, believers of the message of the gospel, the message of salvation going to the nations. We can no longer afford to be hopelessly divided over these things, over race and language and territory and politics. Because one day those things will no longer matter. And the only thing that will matter will be the great and mighty and continuous worship of our great and glorious God by a great multitude that no one can count from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And as people who know that message, we look forward to that day. We anticipate the return of Christ. We anticipate the full realization of the gospel. Amen? Let's look forward to that day and let's live on this earth in light of that day. And in the meantime, in the meantime, divisions of the human race Provide the occasion for our realization of the greatness of God's message of salvation. The magnificence of His message. The impressiveness of His message. Of carrying the message of salvation by grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. To people scattered all over the face of the earth. Throughout generations, 
divided by language, divided by politics, divided by territories. Yet all to serve one God for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning and we thank you for the fullness of your word. And we thank you that you don't leave us in the dark as to what the message of Genesis chapter 10 is because you give us the rest of your word. And Lord, we acknowledge this morning by spending a few minutes in a text such as this, that this too is your word. Lord, guide us each day as we seek to know you and to live for you and to live in light of of your kingdom that expands the ages. Lord, we look forward to the end of the age when, when you will return and that we live forever day after day, night after night, praising you because you are worthy. Lord, help us to praise you this morning. Help us to praise you now because you are a God who is worthy. And help us to leave this place in a few moments praising you with our lives because you are worthy. Lord, draw us to you that we might be a people in this place, in this time, that live for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.